Good morning. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Free Press Media Press Inc. and Alternative Parties Books Publisher sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Friends, we have another exciting guest on this podcast like we always have on this podcast. He's doing great things like our other guests are. His name is Michael Calcano, and he is with All Oregon Votes. So welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you so much, Andrew. I am so glad to be here and to be able to share our message with your audience. So thanks so much for featuring us. Of course. So let us get started by you kindly giving us an introduction to yourself, a brief biographical sketch. Sure. My name is Michael, and I was born and raised in Oregon. Portland is my hometown, and it's the largest city in Oregon. And I grew up outside of town um, in a, a small farming community, and I went to school at University of Oregon to study journalism. And I was a working local photojournalist before I went into uh, work as a freelancer, uh, being an independent filmmaker and uh, producer. And uh, in 2015, I ran for public office. And I, I won election to serve on the school board of my local community college. And wow. after that, I went after that I went on to work for the Secretary of State of Oregon, who oversees the government auditing and accountability function, and also who oversees state elections. And um, it was through that experience that I really got engaged with policy on a much deeper level and started uh, caring quite a lot about electoral reform. Sounds excellent. So, Michael, kindly tell us how your electoral race, you said you ran for school board and you won it. How, what did that teach you and how are you applying that today? Well... It's a good question, Andrew. I ran for school board at the community college level because I started to wake up to the fact that income inequality was so drastically um, um, uh, so drastically impacting the my local community and of course across America. Um, and I viewed the community college as a really um, as, as one of the rungs of a ladder for upward mobility. So people who want to improve their station in life and gain new skills can do that in a very cost-effective way at the community college. And it's a nonpartisan office. I was one of seven board members, and winning that campaign really taught me um, about the uh, – you know, the the idea that um, every community cares profoundly about the future of their community and people want to support those who are passionate about finding solutions. We always hear about problems and not so much about solutions, and that's really what I wanted to bring to uh, the my volunteer role as a school board member. Sounds like a good way to do it. So how did you get involved in All Oregon Votes? Well, I, like many Americans, started to get really concerned about the nature and state of our democracy and our civic culture 
beginning around 2016 and especially throughout, um, you know, throughout the late teens and then obviously, you know, as we are experiencing COVID and understanding the fragility of our supply chains and the fragility of our economy um, and the inability of our government to solve very central problems that are facing Americans, right? So the dysfunction and gridlock within uh, government really started to present itself in a dramatic fashion, and I felt compelled to be part of the solution. And that's what brought me to my work at All Oregon Boats. Excellent. So kindly tell our audience what the mission of All Oregon Boats is. All Oregon Votes is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that was created to put voters first as a solution to hyperpartisan gridlock and dysfunction. And what I mean by putting voters first is by ensuring that all voters have an equal voice in our democracy. And we're achieving that goal by supporting a citizens initiative petition to create open primaries, which would effectively end the practice of the closed partisan primary, which disenfranchises millions of Americans throughout the country. Interesting. So kindly kindly tell our audience the definition of open primaries. Most people probably are familiar with the term to some degree, but kindly explain what, how you see the definition of open primaries versus closed primaries is. Yeah, absolutely. So in our democracy and in our voting system, in our elections, we have a general election that most voters um, pay attention to, and that occurs in November. But yes. in, order to get, in order to get to the general election, all candidates have to participate in a preliminary vote or a primary election, and that in Oregon takes place in May. So Oregon voters every May decide on the candidates who should be the front runners that get to advance to the general election. And closed partisan primaries are restricting independent voters from having an equal voice in that election. Their, their, their vote is suppressed and they are disenfranchised from taking part in a process to elect candidates, uh, you know, and, and that process is funded by taxpayers. So the state runs and the state administers these public elections, but the state also restricts access to those elections based on your affiliation to a private political organization. That's so what good. open primaries... I'm sorry, I'm, go, I'm yeah. sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. So what open primaries aims to do is to create a level playing field so that all candidates and all voters have the full right to fully participate in every publicly administered election. So basically, the way it works, um, we have states around the country that have these types of fully open primaries. Nebraska has had this system since 1934. So wow. this is a 92-year-old voting system um, that's called a fully open primary. And all the candidates are listed on the same ballot. 
and all of the voters receive the same ballot. As opposed to our existing closed primary system where the candidates and the voters are segregated, right? So we're partitioning or factionalizing our voter groups with closed partisan primaries. And I don't think that that's a good for a healthy democracy. Sure. Sure. That It sounds like that's a good way to do it because people like me who I, – I make it a point to vote in every election I can – so it hurts me when I can't vote for these primary elections, so it sounds like you have a good solution there. Well, what we're seeing is a growing movement of voters across America who are sick and tired of the two-party stranglehold of our government and the dysfunction, yeah. that is bred, and the dysfunction that's bred from that. And um, voters in Alaska in 2020 adopted this model of an open primary, and voters in Nevada just adopted the open primary, in addition to Washington and California and Nebraska and Louisiana has this. And and so we're seeing a growing trend of folks that are so dissatisfied with the two-party framework and the poor results that it creates for voters across the country. Sure. So what objections to open primaries have you faced, and how would you counter these objections? Well, I understand that the powers that be and establishment control benefits those in power, and those in power typically argue against open primaries because it certainly would create an opportunity for more voters to have more of a voice in our elections. And so the opposition arguments, I feel like, are somewhat hollow, but I still feel it's important to appreciate everyone's perspective and try my hardest to address those concerns. One of the biggest concerns I hear from the folks who are incredibly party-line you know, hard party line loyal voters who say, you know, these are the vote blue no matter who or the ruby red Republicans who, you know, are lifelong loyalists to their to their party, right? They say, I don't want someone who isn't wearing the red jersey helping select, you know, helping pick the candidate in my party's primary, Right. Or similarly, you know, I don't want um, a non-affiliated voter or uh, independent voter voting in, you know, if I'm a, you know, who's not wearing a blue jersey. I don't want them picking the Democrat nominee in my primary. And what open primaries does is it simply says that parties are free to field candidates and make endorsements, but only on their own time and their own dime. They can't use taxpayer funding for publicly administered elections. And so we don't want to get rid of political parties. What we want to do is to ask them to conduct their own process, you know, in, in, in a private setting among their members on their own expense, not at the expense of the state. Um, and so 
primaries, open primaries, you know, that are truly a voter choice primary, says all of the candidates need to be competing against each other on a level playing field. And that includes third-party candidates, it includes independent candidates, and it includes candidates who represent both major parties. So how does all Oregon votes plan to implement open primaries? What type of process or strategy do you have to get this into effect? Yeah, so we have a current initiative petition called IP16 that we're advancing in Oregon, and it's a form of direct democracy. Oregon was a, 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 let me start that again. In 1902, Oregon was one of the first states in the nation to adopt this form of direct democracy called the initiative and referendum process, and we're using that process of direct democracy to go out and collect signatures to qualify this question for the ballot so that we can put this question in front of voters come November of 2024, asking okay. Oregonians, should, should, asking Oregonians, should we protect voting rights in Oregon's state constitution and grant all eligible voters an equal voice in all elections? Okay, so 2024 is when it would appear on the ballot, right? That's right, yeah. So in Oregon, how many votes do they have to get for it to get on the ballot and also to pass? Is it is it a simple majority or is it more than a majority that required to pass? Yeah, sure. Well, in Oregon, we have about 3 million voters, and it takes around 200,000 signatures to qualify to appear on the ballot. So our first step is to collect those 200,000 signatures and qualify to appear on the ballot. And then once we're listed on the ballot, we need to have 50% plus one. Uh, so we just need a simple majority of voters to say, yes, let's adopt this voting rights protection and uh, open primaries uh, you know, for Oregon's constitution. And then it's adopted and it goes into, it goes into effect. Is there a lag time when it goes into effect or does it go into effect immediately? Uh, it's, it's an immediate adoption, which is great. Yeah, that, that'd be awesome. So what types of activities has your organization done to promote open primaries in this initiative in particular? Yeah, I mean, all of the above, right, Andrew? When you're doing citizen organizing, community organizing, grassroots field organizing, you sort of have to, uh, you know, do an, a kitchen sink approach, right? And so we've been on social media and we've been knocking on doors. We've been at farmer's markets and on college campuses. We have been, um, you know, sending out email newsletters and engaging with state lawmakers. We've been seeking to hold legislative hearings uh, within our state uh, assembly, our state house of representatives. Um, and so, you know, we're seeing really great traction. Uh, people uh, can feel in their bones that something is broken, and they want to be a part of the solution. And that's really, really exciting, and I feel so honored that every day I get emails and phone calls from ordinary Oregonians who live uh, in all corners of our state 
who are asking how they can help and what they can do to pitch in. Excellent. So that's a perfect segue to this question. How can our audience out there support your organization, support your initiative, and support open primaries? Well, it's a great question. And essentially, a victory in Oregon or a victory in Oklahoma or a victory in Arizona builds our movement and grows the call for this type of improvement to our elections for, uh, you know, in every state across the country. So even if your listeners are in Florida or in Texas or in Washington state, I feel like it's important that all Americans understand that hyper-partisanship and the polarization that we see in America and the inability for Congress to solve some of our most pressing challenges, we're really all called to step up and help out. And I think that if your listeners want to get engaged, they don't have to be Oregonians. Um, They can chip in a few dollars each month. We make it very easy for people to to set that up. Um, Our website is called alloregonvotes.org. Again, that's alloregonvotes.org. And um, that, that, that is key, right? We, we need funding because, you know, the corporate investment in the two-party system is huge. And we don't have similar corporate investment in creating open primaries, right? And so we really need citizens of good conscience to come along with us and help support our work. Excellent. Excellent. Michael, thank you for coming on the podcast today and talking about the exciting and important things that your organization is doing. Absolutely, Andrew. It's been my pleasure talking with you today, and I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing in uh, you know, building this platform for your audience because we need more voices who want to get involved and amplify the message and build our, our, our community of messengers who can go out and make real change in their community. Thank you. That's kind of you. So we wish you all the best in your organizational pursuits and also in your personal and professional endeavors, whatever they may be. Thank you, Andrew. My best to you as well. All right. Take care and all the best.